Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bold Sidebar. This is your host, Jeff Horn, talking all things New Jersey Supreme Court. Remember, this is not sanctioned by the court. These are just my thoughts and rants and gathering information for you guys. So please enjoy. Today, I'm going to talk about something I am over the moon about, and that is the New Jersey Supreme Court issued an order on November 18, 2021, and has a fantastic name. Future of Court Operations, Continuation of Both In-Person and Virtual Court Events. And it's really very, very good work. The order, the notice is signed by Judge Grant, the administrator of the courts. He's been called acting for all these years, but he's the administrator of the courts, Judge Glenn Grant, just about to retire, as I understand. And of course, this is the handiwork of the court, its staff, and Chief Justice Labner, who, as I often point out, the court's many, many roles, including the court of last resort for New Jersey, as well as the managers of the court system. So very interesting. They give us a couple of statistics here. Past 18 months, there have been 260,000 virtual court events, 2.7 million participants. Municipal courts have had 3 million events. Can you believe that? That's a stunning number, and I really want to tip my cap to the Supreme Court, the Appellate Division, the trial courts, the municipal courts, and of course, pat ourselves on the back, the lawyers who, frankly, very quickly adapted to virtual court. Not that we loved it, not that we wanted it, but fortunately, the technology was there, and within really a matter of weeks, we were up and running. We're still behind. You know, all the courts are behind, and nothing new. The court was behind before, but it's more drastic at times, and there, things do get lost, and there are there is literally a shuffle that occurs because everything else keeps happening, i.e., judges retire, judges transfer from division to division, judge needs to go out for a medical. So there's all that usual chaos that happens in courts, and then add to it the pandemic, staff not working in the building, staff coming in some days, working from home some days, and everyone learning a new system on the fly. So I I can't say enough when this all went down. I uh, wrote a few articles. I put them on medium.com, coronavirus kills the courts, and it was so, sort of tongue-in-cheek, but it's really come out how I would have expected and hoped. And there's more work to be done. There's plenty of good stuff the courts can do to embrace the technology that we're using already to implement a virtual court. The court, let me just jump back into the order, where the court addressed the input it had received. This is from the sort of introductory statement to the order. Attorneys, parties, and judges have praised the reduced time and cost associated with virtual proceedings for brief and straightforward matters. They also noted there are fewer scheduling conflicts and requests for continuances. Bottom line for practitioners, this has been painful, but it's been enormously beneficial to most clients. That is, clients don't have to take entire days off work for a five-minute court appearance. They pop on their phone or their laptop. They can still take care of their aging relatives. They can take care of their young children. If they've got limitations because of wheels, no transportation, or their own medical condition, no problem. We can pop you in virtually. You're participating you're not defaulting, you're not disappearing, you're not ghosting the court, and you're not going to be sanctioned and fined, et cetera, et cetera. So all the good things 
that it seemed to me would come out of virtual hearings and virtual court appearances have been embraced by the court, continuing on with the introductory statement, the, you know, again, the bottom line shoot right to the heart of the matter, that this will provide expanded options for access, participation, timeliness, and justice, particularly in light of the evolving nature of court operations the provisions of this order are subject to ongoing review. And I'll just start there. So the court didn't address every single kind of hearing. The court said we're going to need a little more input for the following items. I'll just give you a couple quick ones. Cruel hearings, involuntary civil commitment, sexually violent predator act hearings, not guilty by reason of insanity, civil arbitration, matrimonial early settlement panel, jury selection and some civil jury trial. So there's more work to be done there, more discussion. You know, my particular area of practice is family law primarily, and that is where you get these matrimonial early settlement panels. We've done all of them virtually in, in Ocean County, where I primarily practice. That's a Tuesday event. So we've done them on Tuesdays, but guess what? If there was a hardship and we had to shift it to a Thursday or the following Monday, We've done that, and we've reported to the staff that we did, in fact, conduct a meaningful early settlement panel, and I, I think that system should continue in place, and I think it will. I think once all the data is gathered, you're going to find that that's what everyone wants to do, and when people are ready to settle, they can take advantage of the MESP or ESP program without having to, again, take days off, get child care, get elder care. And for the lawyers, we can say to the client, look, here's a two-hour window. You're going to be charged only two hours as opposed to if I have to go down the courthouse at nine o'clock with a bunch of people and find out that the mediator is not available till 11, then we're going to sit there for two hours and we're going to get reached at 11. And now it's a four or five, six hour billing day for that client who only got an hour or two worth of work out of it and, and all the other ramifications on that person's life. So that's my two cents on that. So here's here's the biggies. So the following should be in person criminal jury trials and generally all the following things, although the court has some discretion sentencing hearings, and that's for juveniles, that's for municipal court if it's anything serious, and of course in the trial court, anywhere people are going to serve time, lose their license, anything serious in the, in the sentencing should be in person, that's great. Evidentiary hearings for juvenile matters, termination of parental rights trials, adjudication of incapacity, appointment of a permanent guardian, all of those and a few others, uh, final extreme risk protection orders, Megan's Law hearings, all in person, makes sense that the consequences of those matters are very serious. They tend to consume a good amount of time. And frankly, if I was a litigant, I'd want to have a chance to look my jury of my peers and the judge in the eye as opposed to looking like a TV character. Next, generally, the following should also proceed in person. Supreme Court and appellate division arguments. That's great. Although, let's face it, over the years, I've argued on the phone before for the appellate division and a couple of the appeals that we handled during the pandemic, we just got the order. We had asked for oral argument, but the court just generated the order. And I was grateful 
to get an order quicker rather than have to wait another six months to get the oral argument. So again, common sense prevails here. Most of your settlement conferences in the Superior Court in person, criminal proceedings, post-indictment arraignments, pretrial civil conferences, pretrial conferences, pardon me, motions to revoke pretrial release or in person, final restraining order, final protective order, and municipal court to resolve code enforcement, public nuisance, and other matters that affect public health and safety. Very interesting. Now let's move over to the virtual routine motion hearings, case management hearings for criminal, central judicial processing, first appearances, or civil. And this is where we have thousands of cases, landlord-tenant proceedings, special civil, small claims, the mediations, actions in lieu of prerogative writs, all virtual. Makes a ton, a ton of sense. I've mediated those cases over the years. You'd have 100 or more litigants packed in the court, packed in the courthouse, all worried, all tense, all wondering when it's going to be their turn, some with language issues, some with children, again, taking care of family members. Not so easy always to find the proper courtroom and hang in there and participate. So this is smart, smart stuff. General equity, uncontested guardianships, most probate matters, foreclosure mediation, all virtual, family, uncontested matters and divorces and adoptions, child support hearings, temporary restraining orders, initial conferences, initial applications for SASPA, parent education, mediation except for intensive settlement conference. I like that all very much. Let's really use the virtual as a big filter and get it down to the matters that need the most attention. Municipal court, most hearings and trials virtually, all of municipal court can be handled virtually, again, except for the serious matters where someone's facing real jail time, loss of license, or something quite serious. Tax court, which has been a leader in virtual court for years. The judges have had court smart right at their desk and have handled their huge, huge calendars very deftly and uh, essentially required people to come in only when there was a trial. And, and I imagine that uh, the tax court mowed through quite a few trials virtually because, frankly, I've spent some time over there in tax court. The appraisers and the lawyers are pretty tech savvy when it comes to dealing with presentations of appraisal reports and related. So that may be a good test case for um, pushing the boundaries of virtual going forward and intensive supervision ISP hearings. So that's for folks that are trying to get out of prison and into an ISP program. Well, there you go. I'm thrilled. Um, it doesn't take much to get me excited, but this is just such a common sense ruling by the court. You know, it's, it, it's a ruling brought on by circumstances thrust upon the court and the entire governmental operation. And it just makes a ton of sense what they've done. And hopefully they will continue to iterate and it won't take so long to just adopt and embrace technology. So the court, lest anyone thinks the court was slacking because the last opinion the court dropped was on October 6, 2021. That was the State v. Michelle Lodzinski order for reconsideration 
where the court will elevate an appellate division judge and hear argument once again, having a full odd numbered panel. One opinion has been dropped, and that was also dropped on November 18, 2021, same day as the, the future of court operations order, and that is GC versus Division of Medical Assistance and Health Services, DMAS, D-M-A-H-S, essentially the agency that runs and operates the Medicaid program in New Jersey. This is a very, very technical opinion with lots of reference to New Jersey Administrative Code statutes and U.S. Medicaid legislation and and regulation. So I'm going to just nutshell this for everybody. This is a deep dive into a regulatory scheme that the court has invalidated. So this is a unanimous decision by Justice Lavecchia, and it deals with eligibility for Medicaid when the applicant is not on Social Security, SSI, and it's a secondary qualification program. They call it ABD, aged, blind, or disabled. So over 65, blind, or disabled. And these are going to be folks who have low income, not not qualifying for SSI, over 65, blind, or disabled. And the low income means their income is not more than 100% of the federal poverty guideline or the federal poverty line, FPL, as referred to in the opinion by Slovakia. Again, I'm trying to not shell this thing. Two applicants in two different counties went to the Board of Social Services. They had very low income. They were found to be ineligible for the Medicaid ABD program because either their own income was a tick higher than the federal poverty line or their household income was a tick higher. Essentially, the claim is that the New Jersey regulation is in conflict with the statute and the federal law. So the offending regulation, NJAC 10-72-4.4, parens D, parens 1, is invalidated because it is in conflict with NJSA 30-4D-3, parens little i, parens 11, and federal code 42 U.S.C. section 1396A. Justice Lavecchia helps me help you by including in the body of the opinion, quote, although a mouthful, and I leave you with this basic analysis that the regulation was knocked out because it inappropriately disqualified certain applicants because they appeared to be over the federal poverty line because the regulation did not adjust for family size. So in both cases, the applicants here lived with someone else and uh, the combination of the family income, their income, income from others, perhaps knocked them off eligibility, but it's, it's a misapplication of the law and the regulation bites the dust and the court essentially gives these folks another shot at their application for Medicaid under the ABD aged, blind, and disabled program. So that's the only opinion that we have so far in November. 
I will take a peek again after Thanksgiving. But the bottom line is you want to find the future of court operations order and keep that handy. And it makes a ton of sense. So I tip my cap to the court, to the administrators of the court system, and everybody who gave input. I know our uh, group here, our uh, Ocean County Family Law Committee gave some input and put that up through the chain. So I think most lawyers are going to be happy with this list. And uh, we just uh, now count on continued bench bar cooperation so that when you're down the courthouse, it's as basically as smooth as it is when you're in your office so that your times are slotted. You don't have huge cattle calls. You have time slots as most of the family court judges have been doing for motion hearings and a range of other appearances. So that's wonderful stuff. I uh, will leave you guys with that. Of course, in the show notes, I will link to the order and refer to this episode as future of court operations. I like that. All right, signing off for now. Anything else going on in the court that anyone knows about? Someone's got a case headed or going back to the New Jersey Supreme Court? Get in touch with me. I'd be thrilled to talk about it and uh, get some interviews on the books. That's it for now. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.